Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. I'm going to read a passage, and then I'm going to pray for you. And then we're just going to lean in together. Lean in together. Amen. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are in this room, that you are in this room and that you have something to say to us. So Father, I pray that they would not hear the words that come out of my mouth, but they would hear the words that come from your heart. Father, don't allow anything that's on my mind to get in the way of what you want to do in this room. And Lord, I pray that nothing that we brought in with us, the, the worries for tomorrow or, or any of the baggage of yesterday, I, I pray that it would not interfere with what you want to speak to us. So Lord, our, our hearts are open. Our minds are open. Speak to us clearly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Um, Also, we will declare things, but Clarissa can do that at the end of service. That'll be great. (laughs) Wonderful. You can declare then. Um, But anyway, uh, okay, so anybody here just really tired of everybody acting like the 90s was a long time ago? No, 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 just me, just me. I'm like, it was not that long ago. And then I realized how long ago it was, and it's just offensive. It's just offensive. And, and, and there's a lot of things about the 90s that, like, I miss a lot. Um, one, I, I just miss, um, I miss the playground equipment. I mean, it was, it was like you were sending yourself out into a gauntlet, you know? I mean, there were no guardrails. There was no, I mean, there was, it was just hard packed earth or concrete, right? If you fell, somebody was going to be signing a cast. That was just the end of the story. I miss the playground uh, equipment a lot. I miss Pop Rocks. Anybody miss Pop Rocks? I miss them for a number of reasons. I think they probably still exist, but now I'm 40 and I can't just eat pure sugar, you know? So I miss that for a lot of reasons. But um, there's one thing like about the 90s that's, um, that's always a mystery to me, and it's stereograms. Anybody remember stereograms? If you don't remember stereograms, I have, I have one. 
So, so stereograms were these pictures that, right, and you would get them in, a, in like a magazine and your, and your friend would be like, you don't see the bicycle? And you'd be like, no, I don't see, I don't see the bicycle. And she's like, well, you have to like learn how to do it. And like you would spend all this time and still to this day, Philip has never seen the image inside of the stereogram. If you are not familiar with these, let me just go ahead and bring you into our own personal frustration. There is an image image hidden somewhere in there and if you focus like just right then you will see it kind of appear it's a 3d image and and you can get these on the internet you can kind of look them up and and they hide these images within images but you can't just like look at it the way you would just anything normal like I can just look at you and I see you but but I can't just look at a stereogram the same way that I would look at the rest of life and expect to see the picture picture within the picture. I have to learn how to see it and I have to change my focus so I can see what's actually inside of it. And when I look at Romans 12 and I look at Romans 12, one and two, and it says, learn how to think like me, change the way that you think. So submit yourself to God in all things and then begin to become a new person by changing the way you think so that then you can actually see his divine design for the world and for your life. And I, I think about stereograms because there's a learning curve to it. Because when we look at the world, it's really hard to see what in the world God is trying to accomplish because it's messy. If you don't feel that way, you have not been reading anything and you have no friends, right? I mean, that's like the way it is. It's like people are messy. Life is messy. Politics is messy. Everything's messy. And it's like, God, what are you doing in the earth? Like how in the, I mean, you're the way maker. You're all these things, but what's going on? And then you read something like this. Hebrews 12. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, talking about all the heroes of the faith, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And we're like, yes, I want to run, and I want to run encumbered, but where? Because it feels fuzzy. I I want to do it, and I want to move forward, but how? Because it feels, it feels fuzzy. And we're like, okay, well, but I've done that before. I've been in a small group before. I've prayed before. I've read my Bible before. I've led people to Jesus before. I've served before. And and here I am, and I feel like I'm I'm back in, or I'm for the first time in a fuzzy place. And, And it's like, what is going on? 
How do we draw, what conclusion do we draw from the messiness of life? And so today we're going to talk um, uh, about two men in the Bible who looked at the same picture but drew two very different conclusions. And the first one is a man named Job. For those of you who are Bible people, you're like, she's preaching out of Job? Well, this is going to be encouraging. Anyway, for those of you who are not, just wait. Okay, so there was this man, and he had so much wealth, and he was walking in faithful obedience to God, and he had children, and he had all of these different things, and in one day, everything he had was taken from him. Everything he had was taken from him. And then this is what it says, because his response was in keeping with his faith. He stood up, tore his robe in grief, shaved his head, and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, in all this, after all these horrible things happened to him, Job Job did not sin by blaming God. So he looked at the messiness of his life, and he did not sin by blaming God. And we're like, yes, Job did it. He passed his test. And that's all that shows up in kids' books, right? It's like he was patient. Job was patient. What do we learn from Job? He was patient. And that's what we need to be is we need to be patient. And yes, it's true that he was patient, but there's more to the story than that. Because he had three friends who showed up for him. And they were willing to sit with him in silence. But when he started to talk about his pain, they got super uncomfortable. They got really upset. They, they, were not, they weren't okay with it. They're fine. The Bible says it. They sat there in silence for a long time. But as soon as he moved into actually speaking about what was going on in his life, they got offended. They got hurt. Because this is the thing. They didn't have their happy-go-lucky, encouraging friend anymore. You maybe say, are you reading that into the Bible? I'm not. That's actually what they say. They say, but you used to be so, like, encouraging. And you used to be so stoic. And then they're mad at him because, they, you know, he's talking. They're like, you should bear this in silence. And then, most of all, they're mad because he won't admit that he brought all this calamity on himself. Because it terrifies them. Because if it's not Job's fault... It could happen to them too. And here he is, and he's going through so much. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Job answers them, and he has this whole discourse about defending himself. And at first, he's defending God. And then it just takes like this really deep, dark turn because he never blames God, but he turns and he starts judging God and judging the world and judging everybody else. And so near the end of the book, a new character appears out of nowhere. And he challenges Job by saying this, 
God is leading you away from danger, Job, to a place free from distress. He's setting your table with the best food, but you are obsessed with whether the godless will be judged. Don't worry. Judgment and justice will be upheld. Okay, can, can we just be frank? This is weird. Job is not sitting in a good place, much less at a table. He is scraping his skin with pottery because he has boils. Aren't you glad you came to church? I know. I know. It's amazing. But he's not. He, he, he's not sitting at a table. And it reminds me of another scripture because Psalms 23, which was written by King David, says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. And this is the thing. A table that is laid for you in a broken time is sometimes hard to see, even when it's set and it's prepared by the creator of the universe. But the next part's actually what grabbed me. You are obsessed with whether the godless will be judged. See, Job was unable to see God's plan and what because he was focused on like what God was doing and what was happening with everybody else. He's like, wait a second. Like, not only is this unfair to me, but what about him? My, that guy's awful. That person's terrible. Like, do you, God, God, do you know what they've been doing? And they just got like promoted at work and I got fired. Like, how is this? How is this right? And so he starts to like go down this road and he starts to draw these conclusions based on all of this. And his insensitive friends and all of these people have got him focused now on like the big picture of justice in the universe. A friend of mine um, who lost their daughter to cancer in a, in a, in a particularly brutal way once said it this way, we had to learn not to ask why, but only to ask how. How do you want us to walk through this? How could you possibly use this? And how will you carry us in this season? So at the end of Job, if you know the story, God shows up and starts, he starts challenging Job. He says, stand up like a man and answer some questions, which just makes me like God way more because that's awesome. That's like something John Wade would say, right? It's like, stand up and be a man, you know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, you know, to answer some questions. And he says, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Were you there when I put the stars on the sky? Were you there? But he doesn't just stay big picture. This is the best part. This is the best part. I'm telling you, Job's a pretty cool read. It's the best part. It's amazing because he says to him, he says, do you know what I do for the foxes? And do you know about these types of squirrels? And do you know about, and he goes all the way into the details of nature. And he's basically like saying, I have more insight into the universe than you could ever imagine. 
And then for us science geeks, he says at the very end of it, do you know the laws of the universe and can you use them to control the earth? And it's like those of us who like science, we're like, oh my gosh, it's a reference to the laws of the universe. This is unbelievable. Nobody was even thinking that way at this point. This is amazing. And Job answers him. And this is his end of conclusion. He says, I know you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I only heard about you before, but in the midst of my distress, you showed up, and now I have seen you with my own eyes. And this encounter with God drives him to a place of repentance. Now hear me, Job had done nothing, had done nothing to cause his own suffering. But he has an encounter with God that causes him to come to a conclusion of you are bigger than I thought you were. You are more than I thought you were. And I have encountered you in a new way. And it caused him to look internally instead of externally. But that's not the story of our other other character that we're going to talk about today. Briefly. Andy's like super worried. He's like, briefly, Destiny, briefly. It's going to be briefly. Solomon. King David's son, you know, the one who said, you prepare a table before me, presence of my enemies, wisest man on earth, has an encounter with God early on in his like life. He asked God for wisdom. God's like, that's a good thing to ask for. I'm going to give you everything else, which led to all church kids forever only praying for wisdom because they actually wanted to get rich. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you do, right? Okay. So anyway, he's like the wealthy. He has like 500 wives. He's like got all these kids. He's like, he's, he's known everywhere. He's got everything, you know, in, and so he's a philosopher like Job. And this is what he tells us the meaning of life is. Are you ready? It's very exciting. Ecclesiastes 1.1. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Aren't you glad you got up and came this morning, right? And he, and he expounds on that for a whole book. I mean, there's some like hopeful parts, but like, if you read the whole thing, that was a pretty good summary. Ecclesiastes 3 says, what do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God's placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So, I concluded, there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. There's nothing better. That's it. You know, he planted eternity in our hearts, but it was a tease. 
Now, do you see the difference in their views? They both have a view of God as righteous, no doubt. They both have a view of God as powerful. They both have a view of God as creator. They both have a view of God as all of those things, but when they're confronted with the stereogram, right? I'm pretending it's there. If they were, when they're confronted with the stereogram, right? I manifested a stereogram. Anyway, it's very funny to me. But when they're confronted with the stereogram, they see very different things because they're focused on different things. Job comes to the conclusion when he realizes that God knows so much more than he knows that what he needs to focus on is inside of his own self. Solomon comes to the conclusion, since I can't see it all, it's all meaningless, and I may as well just have a good life. It's like they're seeing completely different pictures. Job has this encounter, and he focuses on God. Solomon has this encounter and turns around and starts judging God and starts saying, well, I may not be able to see from beginning to end, but I think I know what this all means. And you know what, God, you're, you know, you just put burdens on people. And really the best we can do is just kind of accept it. Just, oh, I guess we're just going to have to go through life. We'll just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. And that's just the best that we possibly could do. And we look at it and we think, well, maybe it's the context of what they were in. But Job was in a pit and Solomon was in a palace. And yet Job was richer in that moment that he was sitting scraping his skin with pottery because in that moment he had a clearer picture of the divine design of the universe. Now, the story of Job turns out good, okay? Just for those of you who are like, does he stay? Is the pottery like a fixture? It turns out good. Everything's restored. It's incredible. God commends him for his faith. It's absolutely beautiful. And the story of Solomon turns out horrible because even though Solomon died with everything anybody could have ever wanted at his fingertips, he left a legacy of death and destruction, The kingdom fell apart. His family was broken. He had created so much chaos because what? Of his view. Because he missed the picture within the picture. And when we look at Hebrews 11 and we read about all of these Hebrew heroes of the faith, we read about Adam and we we read about all of these different heroes of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Rahab, all the stories in the Bible that you're allowed to read at home if you didn't know, but all those, when we read about them, it ends with this, they all died still believing. Now hear me, because this is the part where it starts getting really, really deeply applicable to us. See, see, this is what Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says. All these people 
died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth earth. Before I, I, I came on stage, I was talking to Clarissa. And if you talk to Clarissa about your sermon, she's going to make your sermon better. It's wonderful. It's a great thing. And what we were talking about is we were talking about how God has planted eternity in all of our hearts, but we get to choose what that looks like. And what Solomon did is he wanted to live forever, but he was focused on the earthly part of that. The living the best life ever here. The, the what was going on in the here and now. Judging the success of his life by what he could see. By how he was able to expand things by his own wisdom and his own whatever. But all of the different heroes of the faith, they had eternity planted in their heart too. But they were willing to say, I'm just a foreigner here. I'm on my way to my home. So whatever God wants to do with me, however he wants to use me, no matter what trouble comes for me, I know that my story does not end with what I see. There are things going on that are deeper than my own pain and my own tragedy. There are things that I cannot comprehend. So what do we do? Like, that's great, Destiny. I want to have eternity in my heart. I want to be able to remember. I want to wave at my inheritance. There's this incredible um, translation that says that they waved at their inheritance from afar. You don't wave at things you can't see, even in Louisiana. Right? And we wave at everything, right? We wave at everything, but you don't wave at things you can't see even in Louisiana. They could see, they could see, right? They could see. They had learned how to see it because they were, and how did they do it? They did it because of the next scripture. They ran their race. Hey, look at me. Run your race. Not your neighbor's race, not your boss's race, not your husband's race, not anybody else's race, just destiny's race. What am I supposed to do today? When I wake up in the morning, every single day, God has prepared good works for me to do today. And no one can steal those good works from me. Nobody can take my opportunity to do that. What is my race? Because I'm not going to be judged based on anybody else's race. All that matters is whether I'm running my race. Um, the apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus's followers, Jesus has this conversation with him like towards the end of, um, of their time together. And he basically says, so Peter, one day you're going to be executed. I mean, that's the gist of it. He says it like much more poetically, but you get the point. And Peter's response is what we all have. We'll call it the Solomon response. He looks around, he sees another disciple and he's like, what about him? Like, if I'm going to be executed. You know, people have weird favorite scriptures. But I'm going to tell you mine. The one that's gotten me through every season. You know? 
Jesus looks at him and he says a bunch of other stuff. But then he says something that pierces my soul every single time. He says, but you. He basically says, don't worry about him. But you follow me. But you follow me. But you follow me. In the midst of life, I hear it echoing over and over again. But you follow me. Run your race. Fix your eyes. That's what the scripture says. Fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a story in the Bible where Peter, once again Peter, walks out on the water with Jesus and then the Bible says that he gets his eyes on the wind and the waves and he just sinks. My prayer this year for me has been, Lord, I want to dance with you on the waves. The things that have made me anxious in the past, the things that I was like, I am just underneath it. I, I cannot possibly, there is no way. The things that have, I want to I want to dance with you even on the waves because I believe it's possible. Fix your eyes. Because if you don't fix your eyes on him, it's just like that stereogram. You're not going to see the picture within the picture. If your eyes are fixed on anyone else, it will never, ever, ever come into focus. And even when you can see the picture within the picture, we only get outlines and we only get glimpses. But believe you me, when you are fixed on him, it's not even the picture that gets your attention anymore. You're like, oh, it's nice that that's kind of an outline of a bicycle, but you have completely absorbed me because I had heard about you. But man, in this season, I see see you face to face and then remember you aren't alone remember you aren't alone there's a great cloud of witnesses around you living and dead living and dead a great cloud of witnesses who are going through hard things and doing brave things who are walking through difficult places There's a missionary we we support in Pakistan, and um, he's planted like 1,500 churches through his network in Pakistan. I mean, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, just out, outrageously crazy. He, he's not even somebody that I could like put up a picture and go, look at what you like. You can't even do that. It's that kind of dangerous situation. Every once in a while, he calls the head of the missions organization here in the U.S. crying because he's so scared of what could happen to his wife and his daughters if he's found out. You say, oh, that's unacceptable. How dare he have those kinds of emotions? Doesn't he have faith? Yeah, he has honest faith like Job and like David and like Jesus and like everybody else who were willing to go, this is way harder than I ever 
thought it would be, but thank goodness you are way bigger than I ever imagined you would be. And I can bring my whole self, my whole messiness, every single part of how I feel about this situation to you right now. And you will sit with me and you will listen to me and you will not condemn me, but more importantly, you will refocus me on the fact that there is an eternity that's coming for me. And that means I am a stranger here on earth. And this is not the defining moment of my life. When I step into eternity, I will be able to see the bigger picture because he didn't just put eternity in our heart to tease us. He put eternity in our heart to give us courage so that we could keep walking until our very last breath and we could die still believing, having not seen everything that he had promised. Will you stand with me all over this place? I'm gonna ask the prayer leaders just to stand on the sides. Can y'all start singing that Waymaker song? Would that be okay? All right, great. We're gonna worship. And, and I just want you to know, like, you can come kneel at the altar. You can go get prayer. Whatever you need to do. But I want to speak courage to you in your season. You don't have to be silent. He hears you. Even when other people don't. He hears you. But what I pray is that our encounter with him will drive us to look inward instead of outward. Because the only thing that we can do anything about is in here. The only race you even get a chance to run is your own. The only eyes that you have a right to fix are your own. But you are not alone. All over this place, bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of the people that are in this room. For those who are walking through difficult things, difficult seasons, but God, I pray that you would be so near to them that it would be like face to face. For those walking through just normal life, God, I pray that you would awaken in their heart to not just go through life, but to pursue your design, divine design with all their heart. That they would be determined to run their race, that they wouldn't just be complacent, but they would be adamant. For those going through great things, God, I pray that they would not be distracted by the success of the moment. But Father, that they would keep their eyes fixed on you. Lord, help all of us in this year of divine design to have your perspective on eternity and not just our own. Encourage us, Lord. 
Let us wave at the things that we may never see, but that you have planted in our heart to see. Change us by changing the way we think. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.